The Nathan Seawood Show, inspiring you to live an extraordinary life. Hey guys, Nathan, it's episode number 73 of The Nathan Seawood Show. Welcome to the show. Uh, just back from Auckland and in Christchurch now. And that's why I'm looking like a beetroot because I just was out in the sun all day yesterday on Waiheke Island, which is where I met my guest, James Kemp. James, welcome. Hey. How you doing? How you doing? Very good, very good. Yeah, we have a mutual love for Waiheke Island. We do, we do. I'm uh, neither of us are there right now, ironically though. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I only got the afternoon there yesterday, and I was quite disappointed. I didn't really want to leave, which is often the feeling I have when I leave Waiheke. <laughs> it's a special place. I think um, there's a lot of similarities to where I am now. Waiheke, Byron Bay. They've got some kind of uh, some kind of draw to people. It seems there's some interesting themes among them. Yeah, totally. I mean, it was. You know, when I met you there last year, I saw you, you know, you were doing a lot of Facebook ads, you're doing a lot of videos from, from Waiheke, you you're talking about the, the island life and living the island life and living your dream life. And I was like, hey, a minute, that's my dream life, that island life, it's the <laughs> life I'm trying to create, stealing my life. Um, oh man, we can share it, we can share it, there's plenty yeah, of totally. room. <laughs> there's plenty to go around. And you're in Byron Bay now, what are you doing in Byron Bay? I'm in Bali, I'm in Bali, but um, oh, right. draw parallels to, uh, to Byron Bay, so uh We've been in Bali for, for eight months, settled here, running the business here, team are here. So this is our this is our office villa actually, which is rather well appointed. You don't do you don't do offices in Bali, you do villas and offices. Yeah, so running running a business with clients all over the world in different time zones and uh, enjoying the sunshine and enjoying the the life that Bali offers us as well. Yeah, very cool. Let's um, get to Bali in a minute. I'm going to take a few steps back first. So. I know you as uh, an entrepreneur, know you as a uh, coach to entrepreneurs. But if we go back and kind of trace back to how you got to this point, uh, yeah. where did it all start for you? How did you get into business? Yeah, so first uh, first entrepreneurial endeavor was, um, I said, I, I was actually on an interview today, I said a dozen years and I checked and it was 13 years ago. So as soon as you get into the teens, you start to feel like you date yourself. First entrepreneurial journey was uh, was 13 years ago where I came out of a job where um, I got some financial qualifications and saw some opportunities in the market that weren't being fulfilled in terms of generating leads into finance companies. So we started a little business in the UK where we were living at the time that generated leads for finance companies. So we had a, a variety of customers that we, we sold online and offline leads to. And I self-taught myself some of the key things around digital, you know, SEO and WordPress. And we spent a little bit of money on, um, on online marketing. Um, we got pretty good at it. And that's until our, all our customers went out of business over the course of a couple of weeks, the best part of a decade ago. Um, so that was the, the, the early days of the, of the famed financial crisis. And unfortunately, at the time, literally... Two months before that, we'd just found out we were pregnant. So um, baby on the way, business that had uh, literally gone from great to nothing in spectacular fashion. So I had to make some choices. So I stepped into the startup space and rode a pretty a pretty good ride. It was the early days of the pure play e-commerce, daily deals and those kind of markets where I, I spent you know three years getting some really valuable skills uh, about how to sell things online, you know, real high cadence and uh had that wonderful hack of playing with other people's money and lots of it. You know, one of the major investors in the company I worked for was Amazon at the time. Um, wow. So we had a bottomless war chest. Max, as Max was growing up, so Max is my, my son, we thought we wanted to raise him in New Zealand rather than the UK. Landed on my feet back in New Zealand, ended up running marketing for, for GrabOne, the largest daily deal site in the country. So at the time, they're doing over 100 million. And spent a, a good couple of years there, 
on the side, I was starting to accumulate clients again, you know, doing things ad hoc and delivering some services and consulting until I finally stepped back into the world of consulting and followed the prescribed path, you know, started trading time for money, started doing daily rates and hourly rates and giving people strategies that no one ever executed because they're big companies and they didn't know how to do it. And then realized that I could package up my knowledge, get my package up the things I knew in the e-commerce and the online space. Um, and that's when I built my first online program in the e-commerce space. And that was the beginning of the ride we're on now, which was, you know, different coaching, different niches, developing communities, building products for those communities, and ultimately serving people and helping entrepreneurs make their, their business better. But the last, the last 24 months have been very much focused on the professional space. You know, those kind of people who are completely maxed out on their time, have some skills, have some specialisms. How do they evolve those things to stop training time for money and ultimately get into the into the marketplace with product or services, with build some leverage so they can have the choices that I've been able to afford? You know, the ultimate dream, I think, is to run a business anytime, anyplace, anywhere um, with no limits on it. And we've been able to do that. And I love I love solving the problems of helping diverse people do that, not just the typical digital marketers and those kind of spaces. So we've got a, a beautifully diverse customer base. You know, we had a mastermind last week and every single person had a completely different business, but the fundamentals are the same. So we're having yeah. great fun, um, you know, guiding those clients towards building, you know, a better, first a better business, but ultimately a better life with more choices. And as we've, as we've traveled, we've understood the constraints of the modern education system for, you know, our son and, and now our daughter, and also the wonders that the world can teach us, you know, outside the, the straight and narrow in terms of those norms. So, yeah, it's been a it's been a, a good six years of really exploring both personally as an entrepreneur and starting different businesses and taking advantage of the situation we're in, but also as a family in terms of what does this location independence mean? What does wealth mean to us? You know, we've done really, really well. And I, you know, I've got some ideas about what I thought it would be like to be an entrepreneur and what it's actually like and, you know, what the roadblocks and barriers were. So we can explore any of those if you want. I would love to. Yeah, I want to explore all of those. Um, <laughs> do you think you've always been entrepreneurial? Like there's a certain adventurous spirit that I hear about you, like as you tell your story, right from kind of getting into the online space early on with the financial companies to, you know, uh, having a nomadic life to, you know, trying to redefine the education system in a way. Do you think you've yeah. always had that sort of sense of adventure and I guess kind of like the curious nature? When I was five years old, my dad, who was an accountant at the time, found that the car parks in uh, central Auckland were lacking. So at the time, they built um, there were all the wharves there, and it was just empty space. So Princess Wharf and Queen's Wharf and all those ones that emptied out. And so my dad decided to, um, even though he's an accountant for a major clothing firm, he decided to go to the ports of Auckland and the railways and say, "Can I rent space in your? Uh, can I rent your um, sheds?" So this is mid eighties. Uh, I, I remember it from about five years old. And then he went up and down the lifts of Queen Street and, and downtown Auckland, and he sold little tickets um, where people would buy a book of parking tickets to go and park on there. And he made lots of money and made lots of cash flow. So that being 33 years ago, I guess you could say that that frame of mind was ingrained in me that you can see an opportunity, you can see arbitrage, and you can go and actually do something and you know connect those dots together. Um, I've always been a dreamer. And I'd like to say that now I'm an entrepreneur, I'm just an optimist rather than a dreamer. But I still have, you know, big visions. I still have things that most other think people think are impossible. So I think that's the I think that's one of the core characteristics of most of the entrepreneurs or the 
or the people who are exploring and wandering around the world looking for something have is that they believe there's something better than there is now you know and that's not a that's not a from a place of self-loathing or a place of uh, dissatisfaction maybe minorly but it's definitely a characteristic that I've always had with me that that's manifested in entrepreneur um, entrepreneurship um, and manifested in terms of you know the wandering so it's been there for a long time mm. Mm. and you and I've talked about New Zealand and the New Zealand culture a couple of times we've kind of touched on that and um, we've also talked about you know, the entrepreneurial culture in New Zealand so how did you find that and when did you first decide to leave New Zealand yeah, so I did the typical kind of OE thing. So Michelle and I t- have been together for 20 years uh, and married for 11. So we met, you know, at the back end of my high school days. And um, so we did the typical o- OE thing in the, in the early 2000s where we went to London, you know, got some really shitty jobs for the first year or so and then kind of landed on our feet and, and, and did okay until we went back and started our own businesses. So we did the OE thing. We actually ended up being on that side of the world for almost nine years. So we, we started wandering then, but the I think if we bring it back to New Zealand, I, I started to feel that kind of tension about about eighteen months ago, where I was going to a lot of masterminds in the states. I had a I had a professional and and, and network that was largely offshore that was pretty limited in New Zealand, and I started honestly to feel some of the pressure because people were asking kind of what's next because they'd seen a lot of rapid growth. A lot of people had seen me everywhere. I started partnering with really big companies like Spark and everyone was kind of going, what's next? And so I started to ask myself the question of what's next? Or well, I constantly have to build something and make something and constantly evolve. And I didn't really have a clear answer um, because I really liked what I was doing now. And I, and I felt like I had to go and do, go and find what was next. And it's a classic case is when you travel, you know, everywhere you go, there you are. You know, we've we've spent uh, you know the best part of twelve months wandering around the world and found out that the things that we were doing were the path that we should be on anyway. But maybe that we could optimize our environment to to you know have a bit of a a, a pattern shift in, in the way we we're operating and some of the things we were doing personally. Because while our business growth was great, I think our personal growth had had largely stalled because we were so focused on growing the business and growing a family as well. We've got two kids now, so I started to feel. I don't think that's a unique characteristic to New Zealand. I think it's just a unique characteristic to a relatively small place. It's easy mm. to cover a lot of ground. There are a lot of eyeballs on you looking at what you're doing. Um, and people kind of want to know what's next and what you're doing. And you start to question those same things yourself <laughs> because um, there's this wonderful illusion that, you know, people in the public eye or people who are successful have all the answers. And we, I definitely have complete moments of, uh, of brain fade and lack of clarity just like anyone else does. Um, it's just that you play out some of these things in public rather than in private. <laughs> yeah, totally. You know, when you felt like business was growing, but you had no personal growth, like what, did that, what was that experience like? Like what were you looking for in terms of your personal growth that wasn't there? I, I neglected the, the fact that the business was me and, and I was the business. Hmm. Like if we think about these concepts about business, we have these these ideas that they're just entities that are outside the, like outside us, like they're, they're living, breathing kind of concepts. And over and over, I've found that people are very focused on business strategy, you know, the things that you do within the business. But really, we are the business in many ways. You know, all the energy in the business, all the things we attract, all the things we repel is largely us as individuals. And I'd spent a lot of time, you know, we grew really fast. You know, we went from a place of, 
you know, pretty much we had a horrible GST bill and we were scraping together for, you know, a number of months to, you know, multiple six-figure months in a row, you know, only, you know, less than 12 months later. So we grew really fast. So there was this, mm. oh my God, we've got shitloads of money, but I still felt like the same person. <laughs> and then I, I set out on these paths to con- consistently grow my business and I didn't reflect back that all the, all the bottlenecks were really with me. If I didn't look after my energy, if I didn't look after my relationships, if I didn't handle my mindset around money, if I didn't tackle some of the ideas I had around scarcity and wealth and abundance and relationships, then I was going to keep hitting into this glass ceiling of growth and the bit that wasn't about the business. So it, it's always the simple stuff, right? You know, and people poo-poo self-help and they poo-poo all this, you know, this, this fundamental advice, but they really do it, you know. Are you looking after the basics? Are you moving? Are you sleeping well? Do you have a loving relationship? You know, all these kind of core fundamental experiences of, of optimizing the, the human experience, yet so few people actually do them. So we're looking for these hacks and these, you know, these hockey stick growth and this, you know, magical things within vehicles like business or weight loss. Everyone's looking for the shortcut. But really, if we don't, if we don't look after the fundamentals, which is, you know, our mind, our body, our heart and, and all the all the things in between, we're, we're, we're never going to really grow or evolve. We're never really going to get to that perceived next level with anything, including our business. So I was just using the wrong tools to try and grow. I was trying to, I was trying to hack my growth through the, the meaning and significance that business gives you rather than actually looking inside myself and saying, well, what do I really want? Who do I want to be? And what actions does that person need to take every single day to meet those kind of goals? Mm. Oh, such a good point. I'm so glad you brought that up. That's obviously where my work is contained is I have a belief that your business is just an extension of you. And so, you know, if you're unhealthy, your business will be unhealthy. If uh, you don't love yourself, people won't love you or your business. So it all starts with your own journey of self-discovery and yeah. looking at yourself and challenging those things. And I love what you yeah. said too about, you know, if you haven't worked on your inner game, then you could make a lot of money. There's plenty of examples of people that have done well, you know, without working on themselves, but then you'll just be you with lots of money, which is exactly yeah. what you found out, you know, or yeah. Yeah. same thing with travel, right? If you don't work on yourself, you'll just be you in another country. Yeah. So I say to people like, you know what? I thought it would be better being wealthy. And you know what? Do that really pisses people off who, mm. because most of the world don't feel that they have enough money. And a lot of the world are kind of right, you know. So that's a really offensive thing to say to to most people because they're like, well, it's all right for you to say because you're doing great. But the reality is that, you know, if you keep chasing the zeros, there are never enough zeros that you can add to your bank account. If you keep chasing significance through money, which in itself is a made-up exchange of value and a concept, you, you will never achieve enough significance. So we've got to find those things that, that, that get us up in the morning. You know, there's lots of recent trite things about finding your why and all those things, but we do. We need to find, we do need to find the things that really motivate us, the things that really drive us, because pretty much never that's money and dollars and cents and, and, and that level of achievement. Sometimes the status that those things bring is far more important than the, um, than the actual choices that money gives you. But you've, you've, yeah, got, it, you've got to sort that internal stuff. You just got to understand it. And I think there's like, there's a few distinctions to pull apart here. Like most people in the world are struggling for money and there is a level of wealth that we know does bring happiness and more joy. And I think for me, like, you know, once I got past 20,000 a month or something like that, then anything over that was just, I don't know, there's only so much you can spend 
and doesn't bring you that much extra joy. And so that's when you get to, and I know you've been doing this sort of soul searching for the last year or so of like, okay, now that I have the finances, now what is my why? What's the legacy I want to leave? You know, what's the mission I want to go after? Like you said, they're kind of trite questions. And I think it's important to recognize that those are kind of privileged questions to be able to ask yourself, right? It's another important thing to note. But what have you found on that journey as you've looked at yourself and gone, okay, I'm successful at business, relationship, raising children. What is the bigger picture for you? What have you discovered? I think as I've watched my kids grow up, I think I've, I've, I've realized that as we enter adulthood, so much of our, of our creativity and our desire to learn and, and explore and, and experience new things is kind of taken away from us. Or, or mm. suppressed or pushed down. So I'm obsessed with education. You know, how do you teach someone something to get a result that's meaningful to them? And what is meaningful to them in the first place? And that is motivated by someone who was, I was a pain in the ass at school because I'd get amazing marks without doing any work. I was a bit of a smart ass, but I, I had no stick to beat me because all my grades and all my marks and all those things were, you know, average and above average. And I did some papers early and those kind of things. So I was the classic know-it-all without mm. having to do much work. But as I look, I, I, as I look at that experience, it was a bit of a wasted experience because I didn't understand the value of learning. I didn't understand the value of, of knowledge acquisition um, to the point where if you can teach something, then you have an, a level of mastery that many people don't don't attain. And that experience has been, as we go into the world, that experience has been reinforced by my son, who's severely dyslexic, but extremely gifted in some other categories. Um, and watching that journey go through and him starting school and the education system being not really that well set up. And we have this an almost entitlement in the Western world that, oh, we just send them to school and the school sorts them out. So that was confronting because we had to find our own way to help him navigate the the practical emotional challenges of his of his learning challenges. And then our Possibly daughter, one of the cutest kids on Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> and then, um, you know, for many of those same patterns, um, you know, there's definitely an element of uh, of a round of a square peg in a round hole. So I definitely, you know, as I look at as I look at learning and as I look at education, as I travel to places like Indonesia where you've got a lot, a lot of people who are less privileged than us, it's this constant thing that stays with, that is with us when we're young, but slowly diminishes as we're old. And as an educator and you know a coach and a mentor and all these things, when you see someone get clarity and, and make a shift in that, I think it's one of the most powerful things in the world. It's not the, not the money they make or not the, it's that change of, of seeing an, a problem that they had or something that they, they were experiencing or, or finding stress with existentially challenged because they've had insight to look at it a different way. So I'm very much obsessed with the way that people learn, the the mediums that they learn through, why people learn in the first place because of that distribution of knowledge. And I think it's such an abundant and free resource, you know, the connection and that that learning and teaching can connect people with and that mentor, master, mentor, student and, and those kind of tripartite relationships, I just think are so powerful and I think a lot of those things can can solve a lot of things in the world because there's so much there's so much antagonism there's so much status and hierarchy and shutting people out of certain of certain places and and much of it's just posturing when if we if we come back to our creativity and, and our ability to learn then then those kind of things are core that stay with us they're inherent with inside us um, and they transcend geographical boundaries they transcend languages 
And if we can if we can harness the power of things like technology um, and connectivity that the internet allows us, then I think there are uh, an opportunities to genuinely lift people's standard of living, genuinely lift people's experience, and find some of those things earlier and have that that personal path that everyone should follow. Because the this kind of Victorian idea of um, the industrial the industrial revolution where everyone worked in a factory continued into the education system where everyone comes out of a factory where there is one path and you will follow it and tough luck if you don't like it and that that hasn't changed a lot in the last hundred years and I think everyone's got a path everyone's got a journey everyone's got internal skills experience talents weaknesses and if we can all find our personal journey through learning and creativity then everything's going to be everything's just going to work that much better very inspiring very inspiring speech. I think it's um, it's very close to what I believe. Like we don't really know. I think where it'll go. We don't. This is not a system. What you're talking about. That's been tried before, so we don't know where it's going to go. But my hunch is that, and it kind of has been for a while. That if we can do basically what you're saying, then we can all come together and use our gifts and collaborate in different ways. Whether it's growing businesses or whether it's you know growing organizations or just doing stuff for fun, you know, it doesn't even have to be for business. Yeah. That, that that would be the path rather than having everybody working these nine to five jobs for some big corporation that they're not really that connected to. What if there's ways to explore your own creativity, explore your own curiosity, as you said, and then have ways to just share those gifts and collaborate with other people? I mean, that's kind of how I run my business. I assume it's how you run your business in a lot of ways already as well. Yeah, transparency and interconnectedness is, is one of those powerful things, you know. I see that whether when I get a, a small group of people together, like I did here last week, you know, in person, or whether you know we're running something for the 500 plus people we've got in our communities, when people can bring their skills and talents to the table, they can solve some quite complex problems. That you know, and I don't see myself as the the guru and the beacon of knowledge. I just see myself as a connector of people to information and relationships. Um, and if you take that, if you take that conduit path rather than you know trying to trying to have the the lightning world where everything runs through you, you find that those those relationships and those and those things just work better. You know, our clients actively help each other. You know, they help each other prepare for things, they help each other practice, they help each other with legal advice, with financial advice. They get together, you know, completely unrelated to me and outside of me. And I don't even go to these meetups or online meetups or the little groups they've got because I'm just the conduit to connection to 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 have made those things happen and they take it the rest of the way. So those kind of things are powerful because people tend to, you know, find their own path through things where our job is just to connect them together, connect them with the right information, connect them with the right people and create good environments for those. And if you take that attitude, funnily enough, you um, you reap the rewards for it as well by being a connector. And, you know, the emotional and practical and financial, let's face it, rewards are, are significant. Mm, yeah, sure. The education piece is interesting. Like I, I've, as you were talking, I found myself reflecting on my education and I was the smart-ass kid that didn't have the results <laughs> to be able to back it up. So there was plenty to hit me over the head with. But I knew I wasn't uh, stupid. I just was not, I didn't have a good context for education. I didn't really know why I was doing it. I wanted to be a pilot, I wanted to fly airplanes and I couldn't see a line between school and flying, you know, maybe naively. But two things that have kind of came up as you were talking, one, trying to give uh, kids or even adults, you know, have, give them a better context for why they're learning because we have the curiosity. I had a really clear goal in mind 
It's just yeah. that I couldn't kind of understand the context. And there's so many things that at school I wish I'd listened to now, you know, stuff that I'm really interested and curious now, but was rebelling against at the time because I didn't understand the purpose of it. So understanding the context for why you're learning something, I think is really important. And two, uh, for me, understanding my learning style, you know, it's a much more visual, yeah. it's a much more kinesthetic style, you know, learning to fly airplanes. I know that I have to watch somebody do it first. I have to try it myself. And then I dive into the textbook and kind yeah. of figure out now that I have this model of how things look, dive into the textbook yeah. and then figure out the finer details. And then the fourth one for me is always teaching it back, which that's kind of like the biggest uh, secret in our jobs, right? Is that we learn more <laughs> from teaching than anything else. It's yeah. kind of like, you know, getting paid to learn through teaching. Uh, so understanding the way you learn, I think, you know, if I had known that at a younger age, I've had to kind of teach myself that. But if I'd understood that, it would have been a massive, massive benefit to me. Yeah, I think increasingly the, the 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 environment that kids are in now, you know, they are they are being assessed at a, at a much younger age, and that's highlighting different learning styles, which is great. But it's also highlighting things that that people can apply labels to, and sometimes that's valuable, and sometimes it's not, because labeling a child with ADD or or those kind of things doesn't actually even talk to their learning style or or their path or their desires. It's just a it's just a label that someone you know, thinks that maybe we should fix. Sure. Um, so I think that there's definitely a, an acknowledgement that we need to understand that some people learn in different ways and some people have different styles of learning and some people have different inhibitors to learning. Um, but sometimes I think we mix those all, all those things together that aren't actually aren't actually that valuable to the, per, the person who's learning. But yeah, you're right. I think, you know, having spent the last three weeks massively overhauling our whole training program that's why there's like bags under my eyes it's some some of the hardest work i've done for the last 12 months um you do realize you you attain a whole nother level of mastery by having to succinctly communicate it to another person and and catering for the fact that thousands of people will see the thing i'm making right now and and also that that point that you made around you know why am i learning this um one thing i've learned through this journey is that you do need to give people a why they're learning something in the first place, both to break down old beliefs that may be inhibiting from them of consuming information or consuming something that is good for them, but also to, to give them a clear path forward that it's actually going to get them towards something that is desirable to them. So you definitely need to tackle their in, in, inherent beliefs in something before you can teach someone something because otherwise they'll, just, uh, they'll block it out. Hmm. And is that, why is that a challenge for you? Because I'm guessing most people are freely signing up to your course and know what they want out of it. But is that something still you have to uh, explore with them? You always have to cater for that. And every, you know, people come with preconceived ideas, you know, and, and our, in our environment, we, you know, a, a, a big thing is around um, the sequencing of uh, a strategy that someone can initiate. For example, a lot of people know me as a marketer. A lot of people know me as a very good marketer, so they come and say, I need more leads and I need to make more sales. And you objectively look at their business and they're already working 50, 60, 70 hours a week and cannot possibly raise the courage to say no to a client, cannot mm. possibly find the bandwidth to add any additional clients in there. But they believe that acquiring new clients is the path to an escape from their current nose to the grindstone. So we need to, to rechange the sequence and say, mm. Well, there's no point in, in, you know, pouring more water into this bucket with holes in it. We need to completely reimagine the way you do business, to reimagine who you do business with and how you deliver to those people to keep the result in mind, but keep flexible about how we deliver that result. And once you've extracted 
70 or 80% of someone's time from the delivery while still getting the same result for their clients, or in many cases, even better through the leverage technology or smart usage of staff or packaging their IP and things like digital courses or building communities or all the other tools that we've got in the toolbox, then they can market and grow their business because they have a platform that's very strong, has a lot of capacity in it, and has a lot of clarity about the problem they solve. And then you see that 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 growth factor just, you know, not incrementally grow up, but exponentially grow up because they're growing from a base that they can actually grow and scale things. So to unpack all those things, you need to take someone through a process and, and actually say, let's be rational here. If we forced more people into your business right now, you are going to multiply the problems you're already experiencing. So let's get to the core of the problem you're experiencing, which is that you don't have enough time and that you have a scarcity mindset about, about customers and, and worried that where the next deal is coming from. So let's rebuild the way you deliver it. Let's build a, a marketing system that then delivers more people. So you've got clarity over who you serve, clarity that you're going to get a result with minimum of you, and clarity that where you're getting your next lead and your next prospect and your next customer from. And as soon as someone has those things, they've got capacity and clarity, then they can go on and actually and actually grow their business. So you've got to understand the motivators of why people are trying to do things because sometimes we get the sequencing wrong and the order and we're trying to fix one problem with the wrong tool. And we see this over and over again where people are always trying to fix a certain problem with necessarily the wrong tool. You could argue the same as present in diets and, and those kind of things where people go, I want to lose weight, so therefore I'm going to, I'm going to diet. And they take a short-term view of it and then they, they, then they spring back into a place where it doesn't work. So in many cases, you need to educate people that the actual problem you're trying to solve isn't the problem you think it is. So let's get to the actual core of the problem and then work from there. So you've got to peel back the onion layers and find what the truth is before you can move forward. And that takes time and that takes some insight and that takes some experience to do. Because over and over again, we try and solve problems, but without being aware of the problem in the first place. Yeah, it's the Henry Ford thing, right? Like if I asked my customers what they wanted, they would have said a faster horse. So yeah, a lot of people come to you and go, how do I have a faster horse? And you go, well, why don't we try and invent a car? Might work a little bit better. Um, yeah. yeah, my experience, that takes uh, quite a few months in a lot of cases when I'm working with entrepreneurs that, you know, they're quite attached to one, them being the only person that can do the job. So the bottleneck becomes them. Two, like you say, the scarcity mindset. And three, just like this hustle culture. You know, there's a real like hustle yeah. culture. So getting them to slow down and, create space and have time often feels, you know, lazy or just you know, triggers yeah. all these things, these beliefs they have about how an entrepreneur should be. I'm interested for you. I'll give you, I I'll, I'll give you, I'll give you a strategy to shine the light on that in the most Perfect. succinct way I've found. Calculate someone's effective hourly rate. What you find as a, as a CEO or a business leader or an entrepreneur, no matter the business size, if you calculate that person's effective hourly rate for the output they're getting for the input they're giving, that is often very poor, very, mm. very poor. And when you say, well, at the moment, you're getting paid as much as if you had a job, but you've got all the stresses that come with running a business and all the existential angst that comes with being an entrepreneur. So which one would you like to do? Do you want to go back and get a job or do you want to change the way that you deliver? And now we've got a metric that is actually a North Star metric, which says, well, you know, how effective are you comparative to the results you get and what you actually earn out of it, it very quickly shines a spotlight on the perception and the reality. And if you and if you take people through those and then show them very quickly a succinct way to multiply that, you know, we go we go for a two to five X off the bat, you know, 
if you're earning really a hundred bucks now, which is, you know, a six figure job, you know, let's design a product that gives you an effective hourly rate of $500 an hour or a thousand. And then it gives them the confidence to extract themselves from the delivery, extract themselves from that grind and the coalface to do it. So I found that's the fastest way to really shine the light on the current reality and actually also paint a better picture of saying, well, we can deliver these results with a lot less of you. How would that feel? Simple question. <laughs> what um, have you learned about growing a team? Because I know that's a big part of it. Hard. I'm getting yourself out of the way. <laughs> what have you learned? Because I know that's been a big part of your growth in the last year. It's hard. And that's all on me because it's hard to let go of things. Mm. When coming from someone who literally built a seven-figure profit business with me, a VA in the Philippines, a telephone, a credit card, and an internet connection, when you start adding people into this hyper-lean, slightly chaotic environment, it's very difficult to let go because your hands are on everything. And I see that with clients. I've got clients who have 100 employees. I've got clients who have none. And then as those things start to get moving, you realize that they're holding on to a lot of stuff. So the biggest thing for me has been trust. Trust that that if we hire for aptitude and attitude, that the skills can come very quickly because we have a great track record and we have an environment where there's no such thing as a mistake. It's just called testing. So the biggest thing for me is just being trust to let go of things and know that those things will happen. And that is a learned process that doesn't come naturally to me. You know, even nowadays, I'll say, what's happening with this? And I'll get the old, dun -dun. like, <laughs> that's not your thing. You'll find out when you need to. So there needs to be a trust-based relationship where you, where you do that. I also think that if you judge things on age and all these kind of meaningless meaningless demographic factors, then you'll consistently make bad hiring decisions. And it's just a little bit more time to build up some bad habits. You know, we, we have found that hiring for the attitude and aptitude and a willingness to learn is best in our environment because we are such a transparent business that you can they can immediately see how things actually work. I think the, the other thing is that the benefit, we've got a lot of choices nowadays whether our, our staff are literally here or remote and understanding that there's different benefits for each one. You know, a remote team takes a very long time to upskill and train and get clarity for. There are often cultural, you know, factors, you know, especially in places like Asia where people don't want to lose face by saying they don't understand something, even though they clearly don't understand something. And then they'll go off on this big tangent because you haven't checked in and you haven't given clear instructions versus just having someone here and going through the, going through everything in real time but also cultivating an environment that's productive while still being interesting and fun and 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 those things, you know. People don't set off in the world and, and put up camp in Bali to, to to work in a cubicle 50 hours a week, right? Mm. So you've got to balance productivity um, and effectiveness with a good environment and having fun and good people in it. So it's it's super challenging. It's probably the most challenging thing I've ever done. And it will continue to be the most challenging thing because um, we're only just really getting started in terms of growing our team and, and investing in those things to, to do it. So there's no such thing as a predictable human. <laughs> um, and and when, you're, when you're hiring and when you're putting people in, you're not quite sure, you know, the whims and the choices and the options they've got. But um, it's definitely one of the most challenging things we've ever done. Mm. And what's your 
role now. So as you free up time, obviously one of your philosophies in your business is to help entrepreneurs free up time so they can, you know, focus on what they're good at, what their genius yep. is. What, what's that for you? My so we have we have thirty ninety day um, goal setting uh, strategy, and also um, within that we've got smart goals and stretch goals as well. So one of our core goals, as we come out of a period of high production, one of our core goals is James has eighty percent unstructured time. Um, so I'm talking about myself in the third person, which sounds ridiculous, but um, that's what it says on the piece of paper. So we have a we have a revenue goal, we have a net promoter score goal, which is around customer satisfaction and customer experience, and then we have a an innovation based goal because we've found if James gets space, I'm talking about myself in the third person again, um, then James can come up with some very good ideas that can take take the business to a to a completely different level. So one of one of my big things is is finding unstructured time. Um, because you never quite know when creativity will strike. And now we've got an infrastructure that means that we can take those ideas into reality very quickly. It means that we're very much primed to grow. So my 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 main goal is to get out. <laughs> my main goal is to, you know, have some variety in my experiences and my environments. Um, I'm jumping on a plane, you know, twice in March to go different places to meet different people and, you know, do some different work in different places and and expose myself to some new stuff. So my main goal is to then, you know, constantly look at the evolution and what's the next direction of that business while ensuring that, you know, if I if I come to some conclusions with that, that we've got an ability to actually execute on those things. So um, I'm not a structured work, you know, I can write, I can sit down and write five to 6,000 words in a day when the whim takes me. Uh, and other days I'm staring at a blinking cursor like like anyone else's. So we've found that like just frame me up from scheduled things, frame me up from commitment and those things just give me some space so I can wander around and uh, and work out what's next. Yeah, I mean, it sounds very powerful, but it also sounds uh, challenging. Yeah, I mean, there's, again, it comes back to that trust thing that things are just going to happen. And, you know, I thankfully have a wife who is the, um, who is the complete opposite me, who's an operational maven. Um, who's a you know a very much structured in the back end kind of person, and she's quite happy for me to be, as we call it, the kind of showman and the face of the business, but also the innovator and the ideation kind of person. Um, so you can't have one without the other. Otherwise, it's just you can't have chaos without order, uh, and you can't have order without without chaos to, to for both of those characteristics to thrive. So you've definitely mm. got to have an environment for that to occur. Otherwise, you're just an unstructured wanderer. Um, who probably isn't get, actually getting anything done um, because you're you're constantly painting over the canvas that you painted over yesterday without actually you know taking that to market and working out whether whether it can it can change the world or not. Let's uh, talk about nomadic life for a little bit. Uh, you guys, this is going to sound really wanky, but we, we had lunch in San Sebastian last year uh, <laughs> on the waterfront, and it was amazing. So we we both sort of spent a good portion of last year traveling. You with uh, a wife and two kids, me just by myself. What did nomadic life teach you, and how did you end up in Bali? Uh, nomadic life taught us that we needed to be our children's parents, not our children's educators. We were homeschooling at the time, mm-hmm. and um, we were we found the challenge of being both a parent and uh, someone responsible for their for their learning was was super challenging. So. We feel that the lessons that we teach our children are more to do with the way that we turn up and who we are rather than, you know, sitting down with a textbook necessarily. We also found that traveling wasn't the most productive environment for me. I, again, I'm that yin and yang person. I love, 
I love the bookends of a routine. I like waking up largely in the same place and going to bed in the same place and having a cadence to my day, but I like chaos in between. So the moving around, the upheaval of doing that, and especially with children, that, that added layer of complexity, we found super challenging. I think when you travel as well and you've got kids, you watch them grow in front of your eyes because they kids learn by mimicking, they learn by experience, and they are literally changing all the time because they're seeing so much brand new stuff. So they're constantly stimulated, um, which is pretty, pretty special and pretty amazing. I don't know how people run businesses from the road. Guys like Taki Moore, who, you know, seem to be on a plane or a boat or a whatever spaceship, you know, every Go five minutes. With six um, hats hats off to that because I have no idea how that is um how is even possible. I I I definitely need some kind of structure and some kind of order with with chaos in between in those experiences. Yeah, so it was definitely an interesting experience. And um the the Bali thing was Michelle and I came here a couple of times together uh, without kids and loved it, um, as you do, and thought, oh, couldn't possibly live in Bali with children. I mean, who could possibly do that? Well, you know, and then the business got to a certain point. The kids got to a certain age. And literally, we were we landed from Australia, which we were, we were going to move to Australia. We thought, you know, Australia, getting a lot of clients there, getting some traction there, great place for business. It's similar to New Zealand. It's easy from a legal and practical standpoint, um, education schools and those kind of things. So we'd gone as far as, you know, looking looking at houses and looking at schools and those kind of things. We landed in Bali and 20 minutes into the trip from the airport, I was in the front seat and Michelle was in the back. I turned around and went, oh, okay, here we are. This could be it. Because there's just, they felt, like felt like a magic. So she was in denial mm-hmm. for about three weeks. Um, so we, we, we had a, a solid stretch here. We had seven weeks here. Uh, last year and she was in denial and said we couldn't possibly do it then those things fell into place we found a school which is amazing it's got personal learning journeys for the kids it's only got 90 kids 10 kids in a class Eva goes to a daycare which is again amazing we made some drastic life changes we both lost crap loads of weight by going to the gym and eating really well and we were like well this is kind of magic um every it's working for everybody can we practically live here uh, and it turns out we can. Um, and then we've brought the team in. We've brought, you know, my sister who runs the, the more operational side of our business has moved here. And you're plugged into a very, very connected and intentional community of people. You know, I joke that everybody's here running towards something or running away from something. And both of those have, are, are powerful and equal measures. And, and it's kind of like that, that expat style that you, that expat thing that happens in a lot of places where, um, you make fast friends because everybody's kind of in the same boat in a foreign country. So you get very, very quickly to the core of what makes someone tick and what, what they're interested in, what they're passionate about, where they're going and what they want to do. Um, so there's no pretense. There's none of like, oh, what car do you drive, mate? And, you know, who do you work for? And those kind of things. Everybody's, everybody's got a, bit, a, a bigger thing going on in their head. And when, mm. when you start, you make very, very fast relationships pretty meaningful. Very cool. James, you said you're working on something at the moment. Do you want to share a little bit about that? And also, where can people find you? I can vouch for following you on Instagram. It's always good to see your travels and see what Max is up to. The, uh, yeah, the team the team are pumping out a load of stuff on Instagram. I do the stories. I, I, I like Very stories cool. because I'm an idiot and I um, everyone wants to see out my nose and the selfies. So on Monday, we're completely rebuilding our, our, our program. That's designed for specialists 
or professionals who are pretty much maxed out on their time. We help them package their knowledge up into a signature system so they can deliver time. They can deliver their service and results without trading time for money. We teach them a, a, a very simple, simple lead generation system so they can get predictable leads in their calendar um, and a very simple sales system to sell it. And we teach them simple ways to get content in front of their audience so they can become that, you know, that minor celebrity or that, that authority in their market. So we work with a massively diverse range of people from doctors to lawyers to accountants to financial advisors to uh, everything in between. So it's a pretty special little community and uh, that's going live on Monday. Uh, and we have, uh, I, I'm, I've started a weekly live workshop, which shows everybody what's working right now in the internet space, you know, so if anyone's confused about how to how to use this internet stuff to either you know change their life change their location change their business or generate leads or make a little bit of extra money if they go to stoptimetormoney.com uh, they can jump on with me every week i show them what's working we can have a chat whether those things are suitable i ask them to join the program if they want to if they don't they get a great conversation with me perfect stoptimetormoney.com yeah go there click cool. the button it's as simple as that and it's actually one of those like you know in this rare world of uh pretend webinars and all these things it's actually live and it's actually me you will see this strange background and occasional internet problems from bali <laughs> that's what i was going to say the internet has uh, been another bonus from bali i can tell it's held up pretty well so far because obviously not we raining have, we have 40 gig fiber 40 meg fiber rather so um yeah and if the pool finally fills up after being retiled then um it will just complete everything yeah it'll be perfect Dave, thank you. Final question. Ask it to everybody. We've talked about all the nice fluffy stuff. What's your dark side? What's the dark side to James? And how do you embrace dark the side. darker parts of yourself? Dark side. Um, my inner rage comes out at CrossFit. Um, I, 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 there, there, there is definitely a, um, an angry person locked up inside of me. That the joke is that you know I've got a, um, a long wick and a short fuse. I'm a pretty calm kind of person until until I explode. So, um, you know, every once in a while I see the purple mist um, and I get into that slightly uncontrolled rage, but I've got lots of avenues to, uh, to either let that out or, uh, or examine it from within to understand the power of it. So, yeah, like most people, I'm an imperfect being and, uh, you know, occasionally if you haven't slept and you're a parent and you, you, uh, you know that that, that ragey person well, can come out. So, <laughs> <laughs> you, um, yeah, there's definitely a, there's definitely a, an occasional angry person inside me that gets uh, that gets less than the chilled out persona that I have 99% of the time. Yeah, is that something you've had to learn to control? Like, is things like CrossFit is that kind of things you've put in place to like channel that stuff? Yeah, I've I've, I've definitely understood. I've got a, I've I've got a lot of energy. Like, you know, if you took me to a to a um, a child psychologist. Uh, you know, three decades ago, they would have said, "Oh, he's got ADD." Um, so Definitely. I have a lot of energy, but that's—I don't have the um, the hyperactive nature of that. Um, but I've still got the energy inside. So I've—I have channeled that into creativity. I write a lot. You know, I create a lot. Um, whether those ideas see the light of day it doesn't really matter. I just write and output a lot. Um, and then I've channeled those into things like exercise and fitness as well, and and also you know other people um, and and my clients. So. I got a ton of energy and I've just had to work out ways to channel it. Otherwise it gets ch channeled into uh, very unhealthy uh, and unhealthy habits. You know, I, I stopped drinking last year, um, which was a, one of the, probably the best decisions I made. Um, I'm, I was one of those binary drinkers who pretty much drank every day for the best part of 20 years. Sure. Um, you know, if I had one, it was hard to not have the second and it was hard to not have the third. So definitely, 
you know, channeling that energy into things that are that are positive rather than negative or judged as uh, has has helped me to do it. But everyone's got it right. Everyone's got the dark side. Everyone's got the energy. I think we just all need to find those those meaningful places to channel it into. Yeah, that's why I love to ask that question at the end, just because uh, you know it's it's nice telling all the good things that are going well and you know all the interesting things. Always. Like add some human elements as well, and yeah, just as an aside, fitness like fitness is amazing for business as well. You know, not only is it a good channel for anger, but nothing has helped my business more than you know working out regularly. It's the it's the you know if people are looking for a hack, um, which many people are, that's the that's the hardest hack there is. Yeah, um, yeah, but the 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 hack to having good business is having a um, having a good mind and a good body. Um, you know, if if that vessel that carries us into the world is is optimized and healthy, then then great things happen across the across all spectrum. So it's not um, important; it's kind of non negotiable. Yeah, it's essential. It's a pillar. Um, James, thank you so much. I love uh, talking to you. Thank I love brother. that we're friends. I love that there's a, another Kiwi in this space that's out there kicking ass. It's like, gives me great comfort knowing that I've got a Kiwi brother out there doing this stuff. So thanks for uh, all that you do. And thanks for coming on the show today. Thanks for having me, Brett. No worries. Uh, thanks, guys. Thanks for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed the show. And uh, if you have any questions or comments, post it. And James and I will uh, try and reply to those over the next few days. Otherwise, uh, have an amazing week. And I'll be back with episode number 74 next week. That was The Nathan Seward Show, inspiring you to live an extraordinary life. 